welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Words have incredible power uh, for both positive and for negative. Think of words like, I love you. Yes, I do. Thank you. Incredible power for positive and negative. Think of words like, no. Stop. You're under arrest. (laughs) Isn't it crazy, actually, that, that words can actually affect change? They are incredibly powerful. And in some ways, I think of words because of this amazing power that they have, a lot like tools. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, there is one who speaks rashly, in other words, like quickly without thinking about what they're saying, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Again, this idea that words can do a lot of good or do a lot of ill. And so I was thinking about this, uh, that the words are like powerful tools. In some ways, they're like a hammer. So kids, uh, a couple of questions for you. Kids, how many of you have used a hammer before? All right. Um, kids, raise your hand. Hi, proud. All right. Kids, how many of you have used a hammer to destroy something before? When you use a hammer to break something? All right. Kids, how many of you have ever used a hammer to build something before? All right. Great. So here's my point. Same tool, different purposes, right? I remember a few years ago when uh, we were renovating our kitchen, and we had a uh, demo day. We used some of these, but actually bigger ones. <laughs> Only took us like two days to demo the whole kitchen. It was great. It took a lot longer to build it afterwards, right? <laughs> this can be used to break down a wall or to build up a wall, to drive nails into studs and build it. And I think our words are like that. If you're not careful with how you use them, they can actually break things down. They can be destructive. But if you use them the right way, they can be constructive. They can be used to build up. And so in this series, uh, and especially today, we are going to try and learn together how to use our words, not just constructively or positively in general, but how to use our words positively in terms of conflict, fights. How can we use our words positively in that context. Uh, And I just want to give you a quick recap um, of where we've been and where we're headed. Uh, James 1.19 is kind of the key verse we're looking at uh, for the first part of this series called Family Matters, where we're looking at how to build a a healthier, happier home together. And this is advice from Jesus's half-brother, James. I can't help but think that maybe he learned this from his older half-brother, Jesus. James writes to the early church. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
And again, I just can't help but imagine like how much better the world would be immediately if everyone started doing this. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Because oftentimes we're the exact opposite, aren't we? Quick to anger, quick to speak, slow to listen to others. But if we could flip that on its head, I think it really would help all of us. And last week we talked about um, anger, how to be slow to anger and what the purpose of anger. And we actually learned that anger is a, this, actually this positive thing, potentially. Anger is the emotion we experience when the world isn't the way we want it to be. And anger can actually be good when we let it drive us to make positive changes in the world or in our lives or in our relationships. And we talked about how most people are one of two types. They're either a volcano with anger or a wildfire with anger. So for those of you here last week, I just want a quick show of hands. I actually just am really curious. Uh, how many of you would say I'm more like a wildfire with my anger? One spark of irritation sets me ablaze. Okay, got some wildfires here. How many of you would say you're more like a volcano? All right, volcanoes, all right, all right, more volcanoes. Hey, that's what I'm like too. It's okay, I understand. Uh, volcanoes are like kind of stewing, simmering, and then either explode or maybe you just never explode, but you still are just boiling underneath. And eventually it's going to cause problems and issues. And we looked at last week how neither of those are good approaches to anger. And we looked at Jesus and how he handled his anger. And he actually did something different. It was more like a controlled burn where he put it to work to affect change. And he didn't act out of those feelings, but he let them inform him and his actions in the temple in John chapter 2. So if you want to revisit that, you can. You can always listen to past messages or watch them on YouTube or go to, uh, uh, through our, our podcast. Just look for Creekside Community Elizabeth. But if you were following along last week, you might have felt a little bit of frustration because at the end, the application was to let your anger be positive by putting it to work, by, by working for change in the area that was causing you anger. And the question I think maybe some of you have been sitting with is, okay, how do I do that? My wife or husband makes me angry because they do this. Work for positive change. Okay, I like that idea, but how do I do that? And one of the main ways is with your words. So we're going to be talking about today. How to use our words to confront, to engage in conflict that is healthy. That's the plan for today. And I just want to say really quick that uh, I know some of you here uh, maybe don't have kids at home, don't have a spouse, aren't married. And you're like, hey, I guess I can just tune out. This is not for me. Actually, I think this will be really helpful for you, period, regardless of your place in life. Uh, there have been studies showing that the better you are at engaging in healthy conflict, number one, it'll help not just your close relationships, like your friendships, but it actually can make you a better business partner and better leader. Um, it's organizations that actually are able to engage in healthy conflict that are the best in the world. I was just listening to a podcast this week about that. Um, by uh, Patrick Lencioni, and you can read any of his leadership books to see this, but almost every single book he talks about this idea of healthy conflict, that conflict isn't bad, unhealthy conflict is bad. And so before we dive into talking about how to use our words positively in conflict, I just have to talk for a minute about the fact that actually, no, we do want conflict. I remember when Janelle and I were going through our premarital counseling and uh, we sat down with this counselor, and he gave us this hypothetical situation. He's like, imagine a husband and wife who never fight about money. Are they doing well financially? And in my mind, like, yeah, that's great, right? Like, 
Money and communication are the top two reasons for divorce cited. So yeah, if a, if a couple never fights about money, that's great. It's like, okay, what if they're both spenders and they're $100,000 in debt, but they never fight about it because they're both spending a lot of money and they're just ignoring it? It's like, oh, yeah, no, I guess that's not good. See, for many of us, we gauge our health relationally on whether we have fights or not. And actually, that's not a good metric of health in a relationship. You can actually have no fights and not have a good relationship. What's wrong is not conflict or fighting. What's wrong is unhealthy forms of conflict, unhealthy forms of fighting. Conflict is not a threat to relational health. You actually need good conflict to have a good and healthy relationship. The problems are unaddressed conflict that just stews. So if you have two volcanoes married to each other, this can happen. Stewing conflict. The problem is unfair conflict, and the problem is unresolved conflict. Unaddressed conflict, unfair conflict, unresolved conflict. Those are bad, but conflict itself is not. Actually, we have to go through conflict to get to the good part of relationship. It's like uh, that old kid's rhyme. Have you guys ever uh, heard that kind of refrain of like, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. Yeah, you have to go through it. If you want relational health, if that's your goal, you can't go over conflict or under conflict or around it, you actually have to go through it. This is something we have to go through. For some of us, that's scary because we don't know how to do that well. So how do we do that well? Again, that's what we're going to be talking about. To guide us in this, we're going to look at Jesus' instructions for how to handle conflict. But I just want to be clear before I share this, that these are his instructions for the church, family, and community, and how to handle conflict there. And so we're going to look at what he says for that context, then we're going to draw some principles out of it and apply it to interpersonal relationships. But I just want to be honest. He's actually not talking to husbands and wives here. He's talking to his followers about when they have conflict with each other and what to do with it. So let's work through this, and then I'll bring together some points. Here's what Jesus says about handling conflict. He says, if your brother sins against you, your sister, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained, you've won your brother But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, you tell the church as a whole. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church as a whole, tell him, uh, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Treat him as an unbeliever. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. and Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. You know that ending can be a little confusing, but the, the, the clear parts are actually very clear. This is Jesus' instructions. If someone wrongs you in some way in the church community context, you confront them. Say, hey, I, I feel like this was wrong. What was going on? You confront them directly. If they refuse to repent, they're like, no, I think that's fine. Then you get one or two others, not to gang up on them. Okay, that's important. <laughs> But maybe for the sake of perspective, maybe like, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's fine. Sometimes having one or two others there could say like, oh, 
no, like we all think that this is not okay, the way, what you're doing. And if they refuse to repent, then you bring it to the church community or you bring it to the leadership and then the church community. And if they continue to refuse to repent, we ask them to leave. This lays the groundwork for something called church discipline, which no one likes to hear about. Sounds awkward and uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable. But it's the process that our church actually has gone through in the past. And I'm sure, unfortunately, because of the brokenness of our world, we'll have to go through in the future. Where someone does something wrong and it's so egregious, we say, hey, this is not okay. And if they remain unrepentant, eventually we say, you're no longer welcome in this church community until you're willing to change and repent. And that's not an expression of unlove or unkindness. It's making a boundary of saying, this is how this church family, what we believe together and what we believe about behavior together, and you've broken that and you think it's okay and it's not okay. It would actually be unloving of us to continue to welcome you in when you think this is okay, when it's not okay. So how might this look in action? Um, it look a lot of different ways. For the sake of argument, let's just bring up something that's actually happened. And some of you have handled very well. Right? Some of you don't like that we only have one service on Sundays right now. I liked 9 a.m. better. Why 10 a.m.? How much longer, right? Um, that is a decision our leadership came to together. So if you have a problem with that, you go to someone on leadership. Confront us directly. What's going on, guys? And we explain what's going on. And if you're still angry, you could bring it to the board, I guess. And the board might say, actually, no, we're okay with this for now. And then it's done. And the beauty of this and Jesus' genius, I think, is nine times out of ten, I think it stops with number one. Right? You confront someone, they go, oh my goodness, I did, not, I did not mean to say it that way. And you're right, that was wrong, I'm sorry. Thankfully, nine times out of ten, we could just get it over with through direct confrontation. And I'd say probably another, you know, 7% of the time, step two takes care of it. It's only the 2 to 3% of the time where it becomes an occasion for church leadership or church discipline. But this is actually important for you to know because this, this is just, this is how we want to behave together. We want to take Jesus' words seriously. Like, if you have a problem with me, that's okay. Talk to me about it. If you have a problem with someone on staff, we want you to talk to them about it. And we don't want you just to sit and stew in frustration and anger. That's, that's not healthy for us as a body. And the same thing goes in a connection group. If someone said something that hurt you deeply, talk to them about it. We don't want to just stew without confronting things. We want to confront problems and issues head on. And so, uh, just drawing out some principles, and then we're going to apply these principles to other relationships between, besides church. Here's some principles that I think Jesus is demonstrating about conflict and handling it. A confrontation is not optional. It's, it's mandatory. You have to go through it again. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you've got a problem, just suck it up. Put your big boy pants on. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go and, go and tell them. If you have an issue, talk to them about it. Confrontation is not optional. And then secondly, did you notice the order? If you have a problem with someone, you go to talk to them about it. 
Gossiping is not permitted. Gossip is when you go and complain to someone else about someone else. Confrontation is when you go to the person you have a problem with and talk to them about the problem. Gossiping, the aim of gossip is hurt, inventing, getting out of frustration. Whereas the aim of confrontation is actually for health of the relationship and fixing and the desire to restore and bring to wholeness. And I want to talk for a minute about this point because this does get a little bit complicated. Let me share, you, share with you and talk through at least two situations where this can get confusing. Uh, number one, this can get confusing for you maybe if you are a verbal processor. Some people think by thinking <laughs> internally, processing their thoughts, maybe you journal, okay? That's how I do things. That's the most natural way. No, just joking. <laughs> uh, uh, some people are internal processors. That's me. I think to myself. I have to process things internally. Other people are more verbal processors. They think and process life through conversation with other people. They need to talk out loud. Uh, my wife Janelle is this way. Also, like, what do you think about, you know, this thing? And then she just starts talking. And after about five minutes, she's like, I guess that's what I think about. I'm like, okay, okay. All right, all right. we can put it together now, right? She processes verbally. And if you're a verbal processor, this can be difficult because sometimes maybe someone hurts you or does something that you're offended by and you don't know if you need to confront them yet or not until you've processed those feelings. And for you, you're not able to just process those feelings alone like I am. You have to actually talk through them with a trusted person. So, I don't believe it's gossip to go to someone and say, I'm trying to figure out what the right thing to do is in this situation. I'm feeling really frustrated with this person because this happened, and I want to talk through it. If your purpose and intention is for the person's good and for the relationship's good, sometimes that's okay. And if you're not sure what your intention of your heart is, because oftentimes we can deceive ourselves, here's a quick check. Okay. Are you willing to go to the person if that's the next step? Sometimes people say, oh, I just need to vent about someone. And you complain, and it actually is kind of moving into the realm of gossip. And the way you know it's that is if you're not willing to go and talk to the person. If you think to yourself, okay, I, I need to vent in order to know what my complaint is so I can go to the person, okay, that makes sense. But if you're going to just vent and vent and vent and get frustrated and lay it all out there about them, but you're never going to go to them and you know you're not, that's not processing in order to confront someone. That's going into gossiping. So we don't gossip about each other. We don't talk behind each other's back. We confront one another. And finally, uh, the principle of setting and protecting boundaries. I get this from when Jesus says, if they continue to not be repentant, then you draw a line. You say, this is what it means to be a part of church family. This is how we behave here. You're choosing not to do that. So now you're outside of the church family. What he's teaching us to do is to draw boundaries. Say, this is what it means to be part of a church community. And you've actually placed yourself outside of that by your behavior. 
Boundaries are actually good and healthy, and defending them is good and healthy as well. In our family, with our kids, uh, we have a couple ways of doing boundaries. One of them that actually comes from Janelle's side of the family that I love is, please stop. This is a magic word in our family. Parents, you know how this goes. Uh, you're tickling one of your kids, or maybe I'm just alone in this. You're tickling one of the kids, and they're like, stop. <laughs> but really, sometimes stop means keep going. This is fun, right? They're like, stop, stop. And so for us, please stop means I'm no longer having fun. I'm really serious, 100%. Please stop. So that's what it means in our family. So we have a boundary of please stop means I'm really serious. I'm done playing. This is a line. I don't do this anymore. And sometimes someone in our family has been guilty of breaking that rule. <laughs> and it was me <laughs> with the <laughs> tickling the kids. Um, and I, actually, a, a few weeks ago, Adelaide came to me at church. She's like, I need to talk to you, Dad, when we get home. I'm like, okay. And we get home, and she says, Dad, sometimes... I say, please stop, and you're tickling me, and you don't stop, and I really don't like that. And I was like, wow, that is awesome, Adelaide. I am sorry. I will do my best not to break that boundary anymore, and I'm sorry. That was Adelaide setting a boundary, right, enforcing it, and that was really good and healthy. Boundaries are good and healthy. Defending them is right. So uh, I want us to put all this together and um, talk through how might this look for you. Okay. Again, conflict is not bad. Unresolved conflict is bad. Unfair conflict is bad. Name calling is bad. Just venting your anger in a way that's destructive, that's bad. But actually it's possible to have healthy conflict. Now before I just kind of read and talk through some of these points, uh, I, I really want this to be really practical for you. And so I want you to pause uh, whether you're here in person or watching online, and I want you to think about maybe something that's doing between you and maybe your spouse or one of your close friends, maybe kids between you and your parents or a sibling, something that maybe is an unresolved conflict. For some of you, you've been thinking about it this whole time. Okay? You already got it in your mind. Good. But for all of us, I want us to think through these points, and as I make them, I want you to imagine what it would be like to apply this process to that situation or with that person, okay? You don't have to actually do it. I'd encourage you to, but I just want you to think in real-world terms, what would it look like if I were to have that conversation with this person? Okay? Does that make sense? So take a moment and try and think of a person in a situation where you have unresolved conflict. You guys have it in mind? Okay, I want you to keep that in your mind as I talk through these things. How to engage in constructive conflict. Number one, uh, schedule the conversation. One of the best ways to do this is not just to jump in and catch the person like out of the blue. Say, hey, maybe husband and wife, I have a problem with how we handle our finances. When would be a good time for us to talk about that? 
our parents, our kids with parents maybe, right? I have a problem with how chores are divided. <laughs> when can we talk about that, mom or dad? You schedule the conversation. Secondly, you think of the situation as the problem and the other person as a partner. This is really important, but when you confront someone, you want to think of the situation as a problem and that the person you're talking to and confronting as someone who can help you together solve this problem that you're experiencing. And this is weird, and it also actually links to the next point, which is to use I statements. But just consider the difference between these two statements, okay? You always pick on me. <laughs> Mom, dad, when you ask someone for help, I feel like it's always me, and it makes me feel like I'm singled out, and I'm doing all the work, and no one else is helping. Do you feel the difference? You spend too much. Versus when our account dips below $200, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. And when you go and spend money after our account is dipped below that, it makes me feel like you're being um, uh, not careful with our money. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do, isn't it? But it's different. Do you see the difference? An I statement describes how you feel in the situation that you're experiencing. It doesn't blame the other person or name call them. It talks about the experience you're having. Use an I statement to describe the situation, and you talk to the person as if the, the situation is the problem, not the person. And then you share possible solutions. I'd like it if we made in our checking account $200 our bottom point. If we treated that like $0, what do you think? Mom, Dad, I'd like it if we could have a rotating list of who you ask for help instead of always asking me first. Brainstorm a possible solution and invite their feedback. What do you think? And if needed, you work up the ladder of authority. Uh, what I mean is, again, going back to Jesus' example, right? If the conflict is unresolved, then you bring along some others. And it's actually a really good question to consider for you and your family, uh, for your kids, and for you, husband and wife together, or for close friendships you have, is, is who is your next level of authority? So if husbands and wives, you have a conflict that's unresolved and you can't get through it, and you work through this process and you still can't get through it, and, and you just disagree, you can't come together, who do you go to next? Do you have maybe a mentor couple, an older couple you look up to because they have a good marriage? It'd be probably a good conversation point to have with your husband, wife, to say, who would we go to if we had a fight that we can resolve? Who would be a good person to talk to? Uh, you work your way up levels of authority. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Talked about being slow to anger last week. We're talking about being slow to speak. Now, for some of you, sometime this week or maybe even today, someone might come to you and say, Mike, 
I have an issue with how we, like, when would be a good time to talk about that? <laughs> or to whoever, right? Someone might confront you this week. How should you respond? Well, with love and concern. But the short answer is with your ears. <laughs> good listening, which is what we're going to talk about next week. But for all of us, we want to grow in this. Unresolved conflict just lets things stew. It doesn't actually do anything to settle the issue. Unfair conflict is unfair. Name-calling. Talking about people being passive-aggressive. And I feel passionate about this because I need a lot of help in this area. You know, if you think about, like, two people and who would be more helpful, like, let's say you want to get good at singing. Would you rather take lessons of someone who's just naturally a good singer or from someone who was terrible, took a lot of lessons, and now is good? In some ways, I feel like I'm more like that second person when it comes to this subject. I naturally, I don't know if it's my personality or the way I was raised, I'm not a good confronter. Still, I have a lot of work to do. So I'm not at all saying I'm perfect in fact, I was thinking this last week about all the ways I've gotten this wrong through the years. I remember when Ada was a baby, and uh, I think Anna was a newborn. And I remember this one time very clearly, like, you know, the, the one or two weeks after a baby is born, you're neither one, no one's getting sleep, right? And just being so exhausted, and Janelle comes to me and is like, hey, I just really need a nap. Can I take a nap? And I, like, was trying to communicate by making a bad face, you know, like, yeah, you can have a nap, right? I'm exhausted too. I need a nap is what I was thinking. But I didn't say that. Um, like, yeah, you can have a nap. And so Janelle takes a nap, and I'm feeling frustrated because I'm tired too, and I don't take good naps, whereas Janelle does. And I'm going to work, and she's not. She's staying home, and all these things. And for some reason, Janelle can't read my mind. I keep hoping that someday this will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And so I'm sitting there frustrated, and... I wait about 30 minutes. I'm watching Ada for about 30 minutes. And then eventually, like, she's just kind of playing on the floor. And I'm just sitting there kind of stewing, unhealthy, being a volcano. And then Ada crawls over and uh, is playing with a toy right next to our bedroom door. <laughs> Starts bonking it on the door. I'm like, oh, I should stop her. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> Because I was mad and frustrated and there was unresolved conflict. So I very passively, aggressively just let Ada play there. <laughs> and then Janelle got up later. And engaged in healthy conflict and said, <laughs> Luke, was that intentional that you let Ada play with the door while I was trying to sleep? And I was so embarrassed <laughs> and ashamed. And that is as far as that conversation needed to go, right? Sometimes people lovingly confront you as like a mirror in a good way. Like, yes, yes, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? If you don't do this healthy, in healthy ways, you will do it in unhealthy ways. You'll be passive aggressive like I was. Your anger, your frustration, it'll come out one way or another. But our choice is destructive or constructive. 
You want to use your words to tear people down or build up a healthier relationship? Grateful I'm not where I was, and I know all of us can change with God's help. And so today, as all of us think about this, uh, we're going to close with a song, and this is really simply a prayer, saying, God, would you change the things that are broken within me that tempt me to respond in all these different unhealthy ways? Would you work in my heart, change my desires, and then let that go outward and change my actions, how I behave with my friends, with my spouse, with my kids, kids with your parents. And so let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll close. Uh, One last reminder, at the bottom of your bulletin, you have some family discussion questions. These would be really good for you to discuss. When it comes to handling conflict in a constructive way, how do you think we're doing? Maybe over lunch, you're watching online, you can talk about that with your spouse or with your kids or with your close friends. And then the second question is actually really important. What is the best way for me to approach you when I have a problem? If you have a close relationship and you need to engage in healthy conflict, it's good to talk through that. What is the best way for me to approach you when, not if, but when? Conflict is not optional. How you approach each other is. So let me say a word of prayer. Uh, I'm going to invite our worship team to join us and lead us in song. Um, Deanna and I will be in the back during this time. If you'd like prayer for something, if you need help for something, you need stuck, uh, just feel stuck, uh, we'd love to pray for you during this time. So let me pray for us and we'll respond together. God, I thank you again for this time we've been able to share together. Uh, none of us are perfect all at this. We know God. We, we all have room for growth. We all have uh, different, different things that hold us back inside different ways we need you to change us. But we all together do, God, pray that you would do that for each of us. Would you change us from the inside out? Give us the desire for health with our friends, with our family. And driven by that desire for health, would you give us the courage to begin engaging in conflict in healthy ways? Not in any of those unhealthy ways, but in healthy ways. Would you bless the conversations that will happen and should happen today or this week and use them to help all of us build healthier relationships. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.